welcome to the Progressing Lives Everywhere podcast, brought to you by Amoria Bond. In each episode, Amoria Bond will interview a prominent leader from across their specialist STEM sectors to discuss their personal experiences of progression and share invaluable insights and inspiring anecdotes of what progression means to them. This is Progressing Lives Everywhere. Today on the Amoria Bond Progressing Lives podcast, today's guest, longtime friend of myself, Anna Moria Bond, Katie Howard Cross. Welcome, Katie. Thank you, Andy. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thanks. Well, look, we'll start off. I'll just give a, a bit of an introduction to yourself and then we'll get into it. So, Katie's got near 20 years in sales, consultancy, and management experience. This has led to management and director level roles in the recruitment and the executive search industry with an extensive network across the power and energy sector. So she knows a thing or two for sure. Since then, she's founded her own business, Ava Connections, an organization that focuses on career training and coaching, amongst many other things, also whilst raising two children in Amsterdam with her husband here. A real advocate for empowerment, change, and the awareness of bias in the workplace too. Definitely a real story to tell about her progression, others around her, and I think we'll get some real lessons today. Great to have you. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks, Andy, for uh, inviting me on. No problem at all. It's a pleasure. It's been too long, to be fair. So just to start things off, I think that this is the question that probably uh, everyone will be asked. What does progression mean to you? So when you think of that word, what does it conjure in your mind? Well, I guess you could take a few different meanings to the word progression. And it's quite subjective, isn't it? It all depends on what's personal to you and what's important to you. You know, previously, I guess in my early career, progression to me was advancement, opportunity, recognition, doing well, getting promoted, working really hard and hitting the the career milestones that I wanted to meet in my life and in my career. And then, you know, I think as you hit those milestones and you you go along your journey and you get a bit older and your priorities change and your values change. And, you know, I had my kids and progression then meant having a balance in life that enabled me to continue doing the career I wanted to work in, but also, you know, being there to support my children as as they're young and, and growing up and getting them settled in school. So it's really yeah, it really all, you know, I don't think there's any one right answer to progression. It's just really about your own personal needs and wants and values, what you want to get out of life and, you know, what ultimately makes you happy and what makes you filled and where you feel that you have purpose in life. And it's a long journey, you know, it's a really, it's a tough journey as well because you, you start off somewhere and then you, you question things as you go along. And even as you continue, as you get older, you still question things that, is this what I want? Is this what I'm doing? Am I making the most of my skills, et cetera? I think it's it really is just down to the individual and, and what they want and what makes them feel that they have this, this purpose and passion. And that's really hard also to, to discover if you don't know what your purpose and passion is and you go into a, a role that might not necessarily be the right thing for you. Yeah, and you might think it's one thing and it's something else. So you might you might not really understand what your purpose, your passion or your values are sometimes. And as you rightly said, they, they do change a lot. You know, I think I'd, I'd echo that, that progression. It can mean all those things and different things. I think, you know, it's a, a real combination, isn't it? You know, advancement, fulfillment, purpose. I think the purpose side 
is a real nice way to sum it up. Whatever that is for the individual, that purpose and fulfillment is a big one. So good, really good point. On that note, I guess one question I would really like to understand, because you always strike me as someone very driven and inspirational anyway, but who inspires you or who has inspired you, their story, why and why? Yeah, that's a good question. And I guess the, the first person that springs to mind when you when you ask that question is, do you know Karen Brady? She's also known as Yeah, Karen. yeah. So I read her autobiography and it was, God, absolutely years ago, probably about before I had kids. So I'm going back six or seven years ago. And it, I really enjoyed reading the autobiography. You know, what she's done in her career is absolutely phenomenal. And she's really made it in a man's world as well. She was appointed to, I think, Birmingham City when she was 23. The first woman to hold such a post in a, a, a you know a big English football club when that team was promoted, and her career has just really gone from strength to strength. And also, she's a mother. You know, she's got two kids. She's had, she's overcome lots of challenges in life in terms of she was she was really ill at one point. She had a I think it was a brain aneurysm. Yeah, and she's you know she's overcome that. She's an author now, and. Yeah, she just she's quite somebody to to kind of look up to regardless of what age you're at because she beat down a lot of doors at a really young age and her you know, her motivation and her belief in herself and how she's progressed and how she's just, you know, taken taken her own career to, up to such amazing heights was really, really inspiring to me. But I also really like James Khan because I read his autobiography. And obviously he's a guru in the recruitment world. So it's always good to understand, you know, what was his journey? And he came from really humble beginnings and started a business. I think he was started on Brick Lane in, in like a storage cupboard. And now he's, he's, he's gone on to lead huge, huge multinational recruitment businesses and invest in recruitment businesses now. And he was Dragon's Den. And also Karen Brady, she was, she was on, I think, I know she was on The Apprentice. So yeah, just like people's, stories in terms of how they've you know what how they started and how they overcome resilience and and some big challenges in order to get where they are today and those are the two people that kind of sprung to mind when you just asked that question then well i i think they're um two they're very different but very similar in a sense they both broke down a lot of boundaries right and they both kind of came from almost nothing real trailblazers purpose as you say a lot of the things you talked about progression there in that sense they've they definitely had that in different ways and, and certainly karen in you know the topic of our discussion today a potential bias she was in one of the most heavily male dominated industries in the world i guess you know football clubs and now she's what a baroness i believe or the equivalent of a lord so she's uh she's done it all and more your journey so far then mm-hmm. would you say it was more it was organic quite natural everything it's never easy, but it, everything was relatively, yeah, organic would be the, the way to go with it. Or would you say it was more a series of circumstance and events that helped define you or drive you to where you got to? It was probably more organic. You know, when I when I finished university, I went travelling for a while and then came back and thought, what am I going to do? I did a business and marketing degree at uni and thought, I'm going to go into marketing and PR. And I got a, I did some work experience for a PR firm and I hated it actually. <laughs> they offered me a job, and I was like, "No, I'm not working in this environment." And then I started to think about, you know, what could I do? And I've worked 
I knew recruitment firms because I'd been a consultant uh, as a candidate. And uh, I thought, I can do this job. This looks, this looks pretty good. Uh, it's businessy. I knew I wanted to work in a business environment and both wanted to work in a business environment. And then I got a job as a trainee recruitment consultant when I was 25 and just absolutely loved it. And I was really good at it. You know, I knew that this is, oh, I really like sales and I can do this and I'm good at speaking to people, etc. And then it just kind of progressed. You know, I've been in the industry for 19 years, so I obviously like something about it. Otherwise, I would never have stayed in it for that long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a stint. Yeah, and I kind of just got it, you know, with recruitment, it's all about building and developing relationships. That's the key thing. And my career over that time has always just gone up. And I think one of the key things has been when I went and moved into executive search, so I'd been in recruitment for five years by then, and I I liked it, but it was just, it was getting too easy for me. And I just thought, I need something new, I need something bigger, I want bigger fees, I want to earn more money. And I was very, very motivated by money at that point. Yeah, I got my job at MRI, which was a global exec search firm, and that's where I learned my all of my experience within exec search. And I remember when I was being interviewed, and my manager, who was going to be my manager, said, "You know, is does nothing scare you? Are you what? How do you feel about this?" And I said, "Well, not really, because it's it's you know, if if anything goes wrong in the job, I know it's not going to be down to me, because I know that I'm going to put my all into this." and I'm going to do as well as possible and I'll take on the training and the development that you give me you know I will know and I know I'll make a success of it so the only good attitude be a success is if you close the business and you know no one's got a job anymore and uh, <laughs> I've always taken that philosophy with me throughout life I think so that's why it's mindset and isn't it at the end of the day you know to be good at what you're doing or to succeed You've got to believe you can succeed because if you don't believe you can can't succeed, then you might as well just give up and do something completely different. I guess this brings us on to more deeper into the subject matter, really. What I'd love to talk about today is something you're very much an authority on, which is bias, particularly unconscious bias and conscious bias and what impact that can have around progression. Yeah. Give us a bit of insight around that, first of all, Katie, before I just delve into it a bit more. Yeah, well, you know, it's everybody has biases, whether they're conscious or unconscious. And I guess my interest in the subject of diversity and inclusion and, and biases came from probably working in the energy sector for such a long time and seeing yeah. where are the women, where, why are there no women in management roles and trying to kind of just having conversations with business leaders about this. And, and just learning about around the topic myself, just to give kind of get clarity around my own biases, etc. And like I say, everybody's got unconscious biases. And these are kind of, I guess, learned stereotypes that are automatic and unintentional and very deeply ingrained. And then obviously conscious biases, neg- overt, so really obvious negative behaviour that's expressed through physical or verbal harassment and yeah I mean bias can be based on attributes like skin color or gender or age etc which can be recognized very easily and and immediately and, and have absolutely nothing to do with the individual's personality or professional experiences and then yeah on the unconscious bias side like I mentioned it's it's just being aware of 
the different types of biases and how that can impact your decision making and your judgment towards other people. I guess I think you know there's so many different types, isn't there? As well that we half the time we're not even aware that we're doing some of these things as you say, and I guess that's the the difficulty with it. Yeah, absolutely. There are so many; it's just impossible to name them all. With, with your own story so far, then, have you experienced bias either with yourself, whether it's gender or otherwise, or or to, to colleagues? And, and how have you approached those situations, or what have you learned from those situations? If so, yeah, I mean we've all experienced bias whether it's to ourselves or whether we've expressed bias to other people knowingly or or unknowingly throughout our lives and I guess it's only when you start to understand the different types of biases you could then recognize it and pull yourself up on it for it Mm. not happen again I've experienced bias many times because I've worked in well one the recruitment industry and two the power sector where you know there are lots of different biases associated with being a woman in a senior management position and I used to go to lots of um, the global conferences as you know whilst working in the power sector and these conferences were attended 95% by men maybe more so I would go and people would you'd be like the beacon shining out through everyone (laughs) in there and they're thinking why is a woman in this conference and it's really quite uncomfortable, you know, going around these conferences. Yeah. You know, they're all looking at you and, you know, they don't take you seriously. You go up and you start chatting to them and they've got this kind of half smile on their face thinking, who's this? What, what, yeah, what do you know? And then it's okay. only start talking to them and really going into detail that they start to then start to take you seriously. And they won't even understand that or know that themselves, that they're doing it, but they are actually doing it. And, you know, lots of biases growing up. I was the, well, my family were the only kind of ethnic minority in a very mm. white city at the time. So we had a lot of biases, for, and these were kind of conscious biases as yeah. well, you know. But luckily, you know, there was five of us, five girls, and we all stuck together and we managed to get through it. So, but everybody experiences it, and it's just, yeah, a lot of the time it's about, educating and I've only it's only come into onto my radar the last three years so you know for yeah. the first 40 years of my life I'm going around with these conscious and unconscious biases myself and other people towards me that you're not really aware of a real period of sort of reflection more recently understanding and learning and then as you say now now trying to apply that that education and, and communication yeah yeah, for sure. How do you feel these bias can hinder or progress a company? And have you seen any examples where it can have a, a major positive impact or an adverse impact? Well, you know, biases for sure impact companies uh, right across businesses. You know, if a company isn't diverse or inclusive, then they're not going to benefit from increased productivity, increased innovation, increased creativity. And ultimately, you know, it impacts the, the profitability of an organization. I mm, only have wow. looked at the, the rogues gallery of a number of clients that I work with and all middle-aged white men. Where's the creativity or the diversity in that, you know? And, and that creates groupthink because they're all, they're all the same. They're all similar. They all think the same. So where are the ideas and where are they, you know, where's the, where's the people that will challenge this, this group way of thinking? that type of environment doesn't lead to innovation and it doesn't reflect the community that you serve in or the customers that you serve in because you know your customers that you serve in the community you serve in are a diverse population 
And I've yeah. encountered many companies that, yeah, just don't don't have this philosophy. I think it's becoming more, well, it definitely is becoming more apparent that in order to be, in order to be ahead of the game, then you need to have a diverse workforce. And this is some of the things that I advise clients all of the time. But then the challenge around that is they have so many excuses to not diversify the business because they just make up excuses like the people aren't there, etc. Well, the people are there. You just need to look beyond your, your current normal talent pools. You know, I mentioned when we I did the training that there was a company that manufactured hand dryers and all of their yeah, yeah. were white white men. So they only tested the hand dryers on white men. And then when it came to install them, the hand dryers didn't work on on black people because it didn't pick up the the sensors didn't pick up the different colour of skin. I mean, that's just horrendous. <laughs> it's, a, it's a real like basic. Yeah, and it and it happens. You know, you, you've heard the stories of car manufacturers testing seat belts just on a a male figure, so a you know a five foot eight, six foot male figure. They don't use dummies that actually. A, a women's figures or children's bodies which is why there are so many more women and children that die in car crashes than men because their seat belts aren't as effective that's that's almost like the you were saying about the, the shunting of creativity or ideas that's almost like the extreme version of going well yeah. you've just not tested something properly for your customer because the default prototype is male so it's it's really shocking actually you know when you do do look into it and the impact it has on society and business and individuals as a whole. When you mentioned there about the simplicity of it or the group thinking, even if I guess once you're in that pattern, even if someone's got an idea, maybe there's probably an element of them be less inclined to speak out because they don't want to stand out from the crowd. You know, so you're doubly impacting yourself because probably the pool, you, the group you do have, as diverse or not it is, they're going to reduce their thinking, and then you're not getting fresh thinking as well. So it could impact doubly. Or I guess the. The flip is the case for those companies that do have a very uh, conscious awareness of bias and, and adding that into the workforce or the workplace. Yeah. I mean, I think it's something you, you said to me recently that really struck a chord, also along the lines of what you just said there around, you know, companies that do get a real handle on this, then whether it's hiring or training or R&D in the case of the, the seatbelt and the, the hand dryer, they have a massive potential advantage on their competition, as well as just doing something that's good and that they should do. But you, you mentioned about the similar to me bias or the similarity bias and how that links to uh, culture versus value fit. And I think more than ever you hear, because there's so much media now, businesses, sports teams, Virgin, Google, all these kind of companies, they're talking about their whole identity or their culture, their values. And I think I think sometimes the lines are blurred and what culture and value is and, and how you define that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of the times when companies are interviewing, they assess against culture. So they say, are they a cultural fit? But if they're not a cultural fit, then they're probably similar to the people that they're bringing on. So they're, they're, you know, unwittingly falling into the similar to me bias, which then doesn't create that kind of, you know, diversity of thought and thinking and creativity, because they just want people to think like them and fit in with their culture. You know, a lot of the time companies, uh, cringingly say would you go for a beer with them you know if you're going to go for a beer with them then yeah they're just literally the same as you 
it should be, you know, companies are moving away or, or more aware companies, more progressive companies are moving away from the term culture fit and looking at values fit. You know, if you look at your own values, is it the same professional, respectful, taking ownership, fun, excellence and success? I think it's still the same, aren't they? <laughs> Posit- <laughs> positivity, positivity. Positivity, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but professional, professional works too. Yeah, exactly. And it should be, well, how does an individual's values fit with the company values? Because, you know, if there isn't a value fit, there's going to be a real dissonance in, in internally with the, the candidate coming on board, but also the company. And it's never going to be a good fit. And I recognised this when I worked with a coach years ago and I was feeling a bit, oh, what do I want to do with my life and where is it going? And, you know, I've always been looking to progress my career and ambition and adventure. And then when I actually sat down and thought about it from when I looked at my own values, I don't know, six, seven years ago to my values a couple of years ago, the change to freedom, flexibility and autonomy. And that's why I thought there was a huge dissonance in what I was doing. And yeah, companies really need to think about the individual value that individual can bring to the business, but also taking a very structured approach to interviewing candidates, because oftentimes people go on gut feeling. It's a gut feeling of, yeah, I feel really good about this person, but why? You know, what are they, what are the skills and experience and what have they done previously in order for them to be successful in this role? And are are all the companies interviewing candidates in exactly the same way so there's a scorecard system at the end so you can really then objectively look at the scorecarding and take a much more scientific approach to taking somebody on as opposed to just yeah I think they're a good fit for our business they're a good culture fit I could go for a beer with them that really stifles diversity and innovation Mm. I suppose if if you're basing it purely on you go on the look evidence skill set what do they bring to the table, as it were, from what they've done? And then do our values align? It doesn't really matter what their culture value is, as long as they, they our values are aligned together, because we'll, we'll go the same way. You kind of remove the bias by default almost, because you, you're trying to say, well, we're on the same path and this person can do the job. Any business out there or person out there now that they would be looking for some simple practical tips they could adopt, because you, you kind of, when you were talking about the evidence uh, angle there, it's kind of getting me thinking about that. Would there be would there be some tips or, or you could advise really that you believe would really help drive businesses in terms of breaking down those biases and helping their progression? Well, there are a number of initiatives that organisations can do. You know, one of them is conscious and unconscious tra- bias training because often with the management team, because oftentimes they're not aware of their biases and it's only you highlight it then they recognize it and then are more conscious of it going into an interview scenario when you're interviewing somebody but also I don't think a company should be forced to take this training it should be something that managers volunteer for because then you're half the way there because if they feel that they're forced into doing it they probably won't go along with the the suggestions and the advice given so it's got to be something that is a top-down approach from the business leaders. The business leaders have 100% got to be on board with this. They've got to be seen as the pioneers of this DNI, new DNI strategy, and rolling that down throughout the business and being the, you know, the the spokespeople, so that the people who are running the DNI initiatives have 
extra credibility behind them from the rest of the company because they know that this is a top-down initiative. The CEOs and the MDs are 100% behind it and they're communicating why it's so important and why should pe- why people should get on board with it. And then there are loads of different things that organisations can do in order to you know, help marginalised groups, whether it's women or whether it's people with disabilities or people with a different sexual orientation or cultural beliefs and religious Mm. beliefs etc and it's a huge topic you can't just you know we're never going to nail it in a uh, a 30 minute conversation it's it's such (laughs) a topic but you've got to look at the businesses have got to look at their own business strategy where they probably need more help around this this route and which part of the business they want to tackle first and then move on to some of the other initiatives because it's impossible to do all at once when it comes to awareness then training is is good but then people have got to be on board with the training too and they've got to understand the business case for diversity and what it means to them and why it's necessary because otherwise if it's just rammed down somebody's throat they're never going to get on board with it i guess that's the the whole essence of someone's bias particularly if it's a conscious overt bias it's an opinion so if someone's trying to force another opinion on that person quite often they become more stubborn i guess unfortunately so you've got yeah you've got to, you've got to try and get the arm around the person rather than push the person or the other group. Good point. Looking at your career so far, then, what would be some of the key lessons you would leave us with around bias, breaking those down from from an individual perspective, even, or any tips you would give anybody out there today? Well, I guess I covered some of it earlier by you know don't force it on people. Just it's it is an education piece. It's around. Seeing the direction of where the company wants to go to and understanding why having a diverse and inclusive workplace is benefits everybody. And, you know, I guess from my own takeaways, what I've learned throughout the years, are uh, you know, just include everybody. Don't have your, your own cliques. Everybody's mm. different. Everybody has their own ways of working, the ways of thinking, and just because it doesn't fit with your own doesn't mean that, that they're wrong or you're wrong. You know, if you're not if you're not including people, then you're excluding people. And that's not a nice feeling, you know, to be excluded, to be on the outside. And you know, diversity is only one part of the of the equation. It's all well and good having a diverse workforce and having those diverse policies and bringing diverse people in. But if they're not feeling included and they don't feel that their voices are heard and they feel marginalised and they feel ridiculed and they feel that you know they're not going to have a have a nice time at the the working environment, then that's not inclusion and they will leave and that's really damaging to a company's reputation. So, yeah, get everybody involved, but also think about, you know, don't think about the people that you normally hang around with. Think about the people who you don't necessarily talk to. What are their work is only a segment of your life. You know, you've got social life, you've got health and wellness. Yeah. Your career is is a segment. And then try to understand other people, not just the career and how they're going to progress or or what they mean to you as as a peer or a as a manager, etc., but what but who they are as a person. Because if that person is motivated and happy and feels included and supported, they're going to be so much more productive within that business than somebody who is just going through the motions and you're probably getting 10% out of them because they don't feel like that they're a valued part of the company. 
So it's just really thinking about the people who you come into contact with daily and what you can do as an individual to make their lives happier. Even if it's just, how are you today? Do you want a cup of coffee? What did you do at the weekend? You know, just including people in the conversation and making them feel part of the growth of the business. So um, you've over this sort of last six, nine months, I think a phrase you see and hear out there a lot is uh, be kind. And I think that that goes a long way, right? Or the treat people how you wish to be treated as well. You know, that, that, those two start statements really yeah, echo that. Absolutely. And even more so in the crazy world we're living in right now with COVID, you know, people are really the fearful. People are probably not as nice to each other. You know, you, you see it as you walk down the street, people just avoiding you by 10 mile barge because they think yeah. you breathe on them you know it's really causing some real dissonance in the world right now so you know the small changes you can make just in everyday life will you know maybe make somebody's day if they're feeling particularly not so great at the moment yeah sometimes the simple things you know really make a difference i guess finally the future then it's clear to see that you've you've had a real story of progression yourself from what you started and, what, and, and where you got to but also with the softer topic we've been covering as well around bias what's the future hold for you a little bit but also what do you think the future is around bias and, and unconscious bias what are the biggest insights you think are going to happen there yeah I mean, for myself it's it's all about you know advancing and progressing my skills it's still a relatively new topic to me so I'm continuously learning and I've just started an INSEAD course so I'm really keen to keep on this subject of diversity and inclusion and the future within a working environment is to understand that you know it's it's not just a trend it's more than a trend it's about understanding if you are in a, a privileged position if you're a white male then you are a very mm. privileged individual you know and there's lots of different it's not just about gender or race there's lots of intersectionalities around that so if you're a, a black woman then, you know, you've got one, you're a woman and two, you're, you're black. So, you know, you've got these intersectionalities that make things so much more difficult for you. It's just about being more aware of the differences, understanding what diversity means to an organisation, being inclusive. So, you know, understanding how somebody would be made to feel within an organisation and, you know, the future is diverse this isn't it's not going away everybody has to be involved in the subjects it's not just uh, having a woman's group and only having women there men have to be there too to be absolutely clear the future of work is inclusive diversity in the workplace isn't just a valuable asset it's it's inevitable and there's so many research reports that clearly show that companies that are more diverse and more productive, more efficient, give better returns to shareholders. And this benefit comes from a number of sources. Diverse companies are happier companies. They're more creative. They're more agile. And the cost of getting diversity wrong is going to be a huge impact on an organisation as well. So there's lots of different things that organisations should do by you know, changing their recruitment strategies, focusing on diversity initiatives, being transparent and yet yeah, leading from the top, like I said before, an organisation can't become inclusive if leaders are really apathetic or negative or openly contemptuous of diversity initiatives. And if they've still got those bias and, and they're being 
conscious or they're not willing to take that leap, then they're going to hold the whole process back. Yeah, and it shouldn't just be a box ticking exercise like, oh, diversity is the new trend. We better jump on that. What are we doing? Have we got a women's group? Have we got an LGBTQ group? Have we got employee resource group? It should be about what do we need to do? Where do we need to start? What's our diversity strategy? And which part do we tackle first? So that, yeah, exactly. I think you said before, pick something just to begin with and start working away at them. I think it's 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 fair to say, Katie, you know, whether it's your story or, or what we're discussing around bias and, and DNI as well today, there's a huge potential for a business or a person if they have confidence, belief, they work hard, and also they're creating awareness around creativity, inclusion, you know, what and 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 the whole piece there. Yeah, and it's not just you know it's not led by say HR or one person. It's the responsibility of every single person within an organisation. Good point. Really good point to finish on. Yeah, all of us to to move in that same direction. It comes back to values again, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Look, thank you very much for today. It's been a pleasure. I've learned a lot and uh, I've had some fun as well. Yeah, me too. Really nice. Thanks so much for inviting me on. And um, yeah, I'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Progressing Lives Everywhere, brought to you by Moria Bond. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please be sure to subscribe, like, and leave a review. Every time you do, it helps others find the podcast. For more information on Amoria Bond's specialist services and to access the podcast show notes, head over to amoriabond.com. Join us next time as we continue to progress lives everywhere.